0: This week on Retronauts...
1: Hey! Listen! Hello!
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts. I am your host and the trending gamer of the year, Bob Mackey. Uh, that's a lie, but I want to be the trending gamer of the year in your hearts. Uh, who else is here with me today?
2: It's a me, Jeremy Parrish.
0: Wrong franchise, Jeremy. Damn.
1: <laughs> hop! Yeah!
0: Hop. Is that uh, better? That is better. Okay. Man, look at that waveform. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Henry. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs>
1: hey, I'm Henry Gilberts, and I'm here, and uh, hey, listen. Hey. <laughs> hey, listen. No, well, if you were reading my stuff in, like, subtitles, you'd see I
0: said, hey, listen, in red. Okay, that means I really have to listen. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for just trying to rush through these intros, but I'm so excited to talk about our topic for today, which is The Legend of Zelda, The Ocarina of Time, a seminal 3D action-slash-adventure game uh, that I can call an RPG to make people mad, but I won't this episode. Wait, what was that about semen? Uh, uh, well... That's a side quest. We won't <laughs> talk about it. Uh, so, yes, today we're going to be talking about Ocarina of Time. This is part of a series of episodes I've been doing about, like, the huge Nintendo games. Uh, Jeremy's done a few, too. I believe you did Super Mario Brothers. Did I? Uh, oh,
2: that's right. Yeah, I, I, did.
0: Did. I did. I did Mario 64. And I did um, Metroid. Oh, and Metroid, too. Nice. I did Mario 64, Link to the Past, and um, Mario World. I think Henry was on all of those. <laughs> Not Mario World. Okay. He missed no. out on that one. But Henry's Henry's been around for all these big Nintendo episodes, so I invited him back. He's a big Nintendo head. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is there, like, a... Is there like a a, a word for Nintendo fans? Do they have like a nickname or something? I think uh, nerd. Nerd.
1: Yeah, nerd. Nerd. The top nerd. <laughs> I don't know. I. It always bugs me when I would see in British publications shortening
0: it to Ninty. Ninty. That sounds uh, like a very British thing to the do. British,
1: the British have the worst
2: abbreviations and nicknames for things in the planet. The
0: Jenny. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, God. Like Rezi. everything. People are like, hey, it's Jezza Parrish. No, you're not allowed to do that. I'm American. Piss <laughs> off.
0: I, I had to call them Chaz Wazers, although that's Australian. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, bad reference, everybody. So today, <laughs> this yes. Isn't talking Simpsons. It's not Talking Simpsons. Man, Simpsons talk is bleeding into this, episode, this podcast now we need to cut that, nip that in the bud. So, yeah, today, uh, Ocarina of Time, if you haven't played it, it is the first 3D, fully 3D Zelda game. And uh, before I talk about the main topic, as always, I'd like to give a little bit of background info about uh, the, the game in question, and uh, with this game, I was like, "Hey, who directed this game?" And that is a hard question to answer because Nintendo tried something new, because this was such a massive undertaking, and they weren't—they didn't really know what they were doing. They were figuring it out as they went along. A little less Much so. Like
2: us here on RetroNuts.
0: Oh yes, it's kind of the same way. I am the Tezuka of RetroNuts, by the way. I'm calling that now. Uh, I want Anuma. Okay. I'm I, the uh, I'm the Yamauchi. Oh man. Ooh. <laughs> I
2: hate you all. Piss off.
0: Where's your fa- Where's your fashionable scarf? It's right behind me. Okay. Oh, that's right. Wow. You are he young. It really is. Game. So, yes, uh, there is no re- real one director on this game. For the first time, Nintendo used, like, teams of directors to work on different things because, it, like, this game was not as improvisational as Mario 64. But still, it was like, how do we do things? We need to just try things, throw things at the wall, and see what sticks. But um, I will talk about a few of the people that we met, uh, mentioned before on our Nintendo-focused uh, you know podcast. And one of them is Aegeo Onuma who was with Nintendo since the early 90s, but this was his first, uh, rather, second role as being a director. The first game he directed for Nintendo was Marvelous, Another Treasure Island, which is a really fantastic Zelda-slash-point-and-click adventure game that never came here. I believe it was a 95 or 96 Super Famicom release. Hmm. It's totally fan-translated. I played through it. Um... In 2013, and I wrote about it for when I had a column at Joystick for, like, three seconds. So you can look <laughs> that up. Uh, and I'm sh- – sh- is that content still around on Joystick? I don't, uh, I, don't know. Um, I got transferred over to AOL. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a of sites hazards. lately that have just vanished off the face of the planet. That's
1: true. Not every, not every site is as lucky as
2: 1UP. Yeah, 1UP was blessed. Preserved post-posthumously.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, hey, at least you're not seeing your thing still online but with a different name.
0: 1UP <laughs> <laughs> staff. That should be illegal. Okay, so uh, yeah, so uh, if you if you can find Marvelous uh, and and do the fan translation, I did. I loved it. I was like, oh man, I would have so loved this game if it came out in the in the in the mid '90s for Super Nintendo. But yes, but you people didn't buy Earthbound. Yeah, you jerks. <laughs> and uh, actually I actually had a chance to talk to I.G. Numa before I panned his latest game. <laughs> and uh, he uh, the first thing I said to him was, uh, OK, I know I, I'm never going to get the chance to say this, but I'm really sad Marvelous didn't come out in America because I loved it. I recently played. He's like, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really sad it didn't come out over there as well. And I was like, cool. I, I was glad I got to say that to him. I'm that's sorry insane. for dropping all these names, everybody. I only talked to him once.
2: Oh look, there's Sting looking for his name in the dip.
0: <laughs> I got to interview him once, and
1: it was, but it was about Hyrule Warriors, which was kind of like another poisoned cup.
0: Yeah. If I felt bad, it's like oh they are nice to me, but I still had to pan their game. But that's that's the role of the games journalist to break hearts and burn bridges everywhere we go. So another uh, a key member on this staff was Yoichi Yamada, who is even like even more like reclusive and behind the scenes than Tezuka, which I feel like. They They've only just started dragging him out in front of cameras and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yoichi Yamada, in case you didn't know, he directed Zelda 2, and he was the co-system director with Aonuma, whatever that means. I assume um, it just like making sure everything lines up and everything's firing in in the way it needs to be firing. Um, I I don't make games people, but he was the co-system director with Aonuma, who was was largely credited with being like kind of the main guy behind this game. I really did not know that about um, Yamada.
2: Yeah, Yoichi Yamada. okay. Because when, when Ocarina of Time first came out, I was telling everyone, wow, this game is like, this is more Zelda 2 than uh, like, than any other game in the series. I mean, I guess structurally it's link, a link to the past, but in terms of the actual combat and design, I was really struck by how much it harkened back to Zelda 2, uh, this game that like everyone was always trash talking in the 90s
0: well there is the fact that all of these sages in this in this game are named after the towns in um, Zelda mm-hmm. 2 so that could be a connection I mean I know it's, it's a Zelda game but maybe Yamada is the guy who brought that in is like let's let's reference one of my things
2: well I, I feel like he probably had a lot of influence on the combat system because Zelda 2's combat really does feel like um, it, it is or Agarina of times combat feels like it's Zelda 2 from behind the shoulder. That's true, yeah. yeah I mean, Heavy emphasis on blocking and shields and things like
0: that. You have so many different moves that you, you learn and unlock yeah. and things like that. I'm thinking of um, Twilight Princess. But, yeah, you have a lot of moves in this game that you never had before. And uh, we also have a uh, script director, Toru Osawa. There's not a lot about him. He's an R&D 1 guy, but he did create Kid Icarus, I read. Uh, yeah. He was the sole guy working on that game before Yoshio Sakamoto uh, finished up Metroid and could help out on Kid Icarus. So Toru Osawa, creator of Kid Icarus, I don't think he was ever credited with that in the game itself. But he was given a special thanks in Uprising.
2: Didn't Osawa, didn't he direct Super Mario Land?
0: I don't know. I didn't see that as his... Um, that sounds like an R&D 1 type job. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I assume he touched it or worked on it in some way. But uh, And our last guy is... Uh, uh, is it Koichi Koizumi? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Koichi Koizumi. I, I forgot to write down his first name, but he was a 3D system director. and he But did... he's a Mario
2: guy. What's mm-hmm. going on? The,
0: the secret mystery is Zelda is made by the people who make Mario games. Gasp. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Yoshiaki. Koizumi. Yoshiaki. Sorry. What did I say? Yoichi? Yeah. Yeah. Yoshiaki Koizumi. He was a 3D system director and the uh, guy in charge of character design. And um, he, he basically – we're talking about how – So the, Mito is his fault? Uh, well, there were a lot of character designers, but he takes <laughs> credit for uh, making Adult Link. So he was building these characters like, uh, Henry, you're talking about. Like he basically built the the crappy Yoshi uh, paper craft thing in Mario 64. I say crappy because it was like 20 years ago. I'm sure it looked (laughs) fine at the time. It was
1: like eight polygons. No one
0: actually saw it. (laughs) Some people did. I was not as uh, determined to get all those stars. So um, I found that this is a a situation very similar to the NES days and maybe even Super Nintendo. It feels like whenever there is this new system, this new console, they are working on the Mario game and the Zelda game for it at the same time. And the Mario game is what comes out first and the Zelda game is delayed forever. And Mm -hmm. that's been the case up until like the Wii generation, hasn't it, Jeremy? I don't know if um – Mario Galaxy and like, uh, well, I mean that's Twilight how Princess. How many Mario
2: games are there on Wii U now, and how <laughs> many Zelda games well, are there?
1: Well, that's well, like mm. Zelda, they always. Uh, Twilight Princess got so delayed that it then became a Wii launch game. That's true, yeah. But that's the only way. I'm it sure met up that's with not going to happen with the new Zelda. <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly. Oh, God! Not. I hope. <laughs> oh,
2: you can't see me winking painfully at home.
1: Uh, but yeah, the I believe for the last three generations with Sunshine, uh with Sunshine Galaxy and 3D World, they were all a year after launch for the system for Mario games, while meanwhile, you know, Wind Waker was close to two year uh, a year and a half in America after launch uh, of the of the GameCube, and then I think yeah, the geez, Edward Sword was like Four years after the GameCube or the Wii's launch. Right? Yeah, that's right. Actually, it was five. Wasn't it, it was five years. Twenty eleven. Wow. Jeez,
0: God, so so long. But yeah, I guess, I guess up until the GameCube generation, then it was like they were working on a Mario and a Zelda game, but the Mario one always came out first. <laughs> and uh, and this was at, at the time when there was not like a um, like a team that was making Mario games, some team that was making Zelda games. It was just like you're the guys doing this, so to go do it. And um, the former game, Mario 64, that I mentioned before was kind of a test bed as to what could happen in Ocarina of Time. The Mario 64 episode, I hate to keep referencing it, but it is important to note mm-hmm. that uh, things that didn't fit in that game uh, were used in Zelda and things that couldn't be put into Zelda were used in Mario 64. Like there's a there's a level in Mario 64 where you're changing water levels and hitting switches and stuff that feels very Zelda-like. Yeah, so every I replayed that. I was like,
1: oh, wow, this is – Totally, ocarina.
0: So these things are bleeding into each other and I, and I think like by making Mario 64 they understood like oh maybe this didn't work so well or maybe uh. this did but there was still a lot to figure out about uh, how to make a 3D adventure game not just a platformer where you have more than just a few verbs to use at your disposal. And uh, this, the footage of this game debuted at Space World 1995. It looked very different. Link, uh, you probably seen fuzzy pictures of this. I couldn't find the actual video. I don't know if it was ever captured in any way, but I don't think it was. I've only ever seen screenshots. Yeah, and, and they're probably the same ones published in like GamePro in '95. I mean, but...
2: finding finding early footage of games from that era is really hard to do. I mean, there's basically the Final Fantasy six, VI, seven CGI demo for n '64. I I think that might be the only old footage I've seen,
0: and that was probably a year later. But that was that was like a year, in that time was very important because I'm sure like Real Player was getting off the ground and stuff like that. Oh, so
2: oh, there's Metal Gear Solid CGI test. There's mm. that too. But but
0: that was like probably ninety seven, right? Or yeah, that was later. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And I remember seeing footage of like Sonic Extreme getting shown at
0: E three, like that exists from like I mean, that's more like ninety six, I guess. Yeah, yeah, way too late. So this footage uh, looks very different. It looks extremely primitive. I'm sure it was really impressive to us in 1995. But Link looks a lot more like he did in Zelda 2. And he's fighting a knight uh, who's very shiny. Um, Yeah,
2: Link uh, Link is made of like six triangles and the knight is made of seven. But the, the thing about the knight is that they're like, check it out. The Ultra 64 can do specular highlighting and reflections.
1: Wow. Ah, I know. It was mind-blowing at the time, like, that Pro- Project
0: Reality could yep. pull off this kind of stuff. And and it'll look just like Jurassic Park, man. Jeez. For the longest time, I I thought, you know, like, Metal Mario was – I thought he was actually reflecting things around him. And then, like, a few years after I played, I was like, no, no, he wasn't. That was just, like, a visual trick. He wasn't actually reflecting anything. anything. That was just, like, a fun texture they put on him to make it look like he did. So – Joke's on you, Nintendo, I guess. So, so yeah, that that debuted in 1995. um, And I I read so many interviews this morning, and there's so many that you really need to check out. Uh, I would definitely check out uh, Iwata Asks for Ocarina of Time 3D. He did a ton of interviews when that game came out, and we'll be talking about that later, the actual uh, remake, I guess you can call it.
1: I miss what I ask so much.
0: Me too. I was reading yeah. I was like no one is no one else is going to be doing this and it makes me yeah. so sad.
1: To d- go to all the trouble of digging up like, oh, you've been an employee for 30 years and no one's interviewed you. Let's talk about
0: this. Yeah, and and the great thing about these interviews and we've talked about them a lot is like I feel like they're very confessional. And they're willing to tell things to these people that they wouldn't tell the press because these are like their friends that they work with, you know? Yeah. So it's like, we're, we were all in this together. These are our war stories, kind of. And they're all, uh, you can, like, the parenthetical laughs is after every, um, every <laughs> statement. Everyone is always laughing throughout these. So it yeah. seems like a good time, where it was, rather. Iwata asks made me a little bitter because I could see
2: the direction things were going. Like, Nintendo's going to do these now instead of giving press access to these people. But mm. now that we don't have Iwata asks, now there's just no access at all. Yeah, that's so true. it's...
0: Yeah, it's, we've it's tried. Really a shame. It's not like we don't try, but worst of both worlds. Yeah, so uh, I recommend reading these interviews. There's also a, a site called Glitterberry, G L I T T E R B E R I. They've been an invaluable resource for me in doing research for Retronauts because they uh, they dig up all these old interviews that were just like posted on like in obscure Japanese magazines or on websites or on CD liner notes, and they translate them. So there's all this insight I've never even seen before. So. Like, all these little trivia tidbits, and essentially, like I said before, uh, the team was just trying to figure out how to make a 3D Zelda game. Like, there were no rules. They had to create the rules as they went along. So, they had a lot of crazy ideas that didn't quite pan out, that didn't quite make it into the game. So, for example, Miyamoto first envisioned Zelda 64 as a first-person game. Like, a first-person game. Which is wild.
1: Sure, it would have, have even... been terrible.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm, oh, it would have been awful. Mm-hmm.
1: But it would have I, been like an Elder Scrolls game in first-person.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, you do see the remnants of uh, these ideas still in the game. Like, there is a 1st first- person mode in shooting. You can go in a first person mode on a horse. So obviously they felt like, hey, a first person mode is really immersive. Let's work this in in some way. So that didn't completely go away. Another idea Miyamoto had was, okay, they were worried like, oh, the N64 is a new system, but can we really render an entire outdoor environment? So Miyamoto's initial idea is like, Mario 64 took place in, in Peach's Castle. Let's have Zelda 64 take place in Ganon's Castle. And Link can just go into paintings and stuff and, uh, you know, go to different worlds that way. And uh, th- there's a very tiny remnant in of that left in the Phantom Ganon Mm -hmm. boss fight where you're shooting um, Ganon is coming out of paintings and stuff so they never really throw an idea away they always find a way to use an idea um, the developers at Nintendo I find
2: I'm glad that they didn't do that though it would have it really would have cheapened the game to have it structured exactly the same as Mario 64
0: yeah yeah I totally agree, and it, it was really daring to to break out of that and just like, how do we make a game outside in like nineteen ninety six, like a, a like a quote unquote open world game? I guess you can call Zelda. Is it is it really an open world game? Uh, no. It was it was nineteen. 19- has a big was...
2: central hub area that you can roam across freely, but it's not that
0: big. Do you think it was 1998's equivalent of an open world game, though? No, that would have been an Elder Scrolls. Game. That's true, mm-hmm. but uh, um, there it's... was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: realistically, but but you know. The The overworld of uh, Hyrule Field was really impressive yeah. at mm-hmm. the time. Like when you step out of kind of the claustrophobic tree dungeon and the town and all of a sudden, you know, the like you hear the, the morning dawn chimes as you mm-hmm. look out over this, what seemed to be this huge open expanse. It's yeah. not actually that big in comparison now but it felt enormous at the time.
1: Oh, it felt it felt massive. I remember I forget where I read it. It might have been the GameSpot review, but they were calling it like you were you had this whole giant digital world that felt like the I believe the equivalent they said was like it was like the world, the real world, reflected back in this. It was so big, and now yeah, Hyrule, the Hyrule field feels like the size of uh, <laughs> like five city blocks in GTA yeah. or something.
0: I mean, I think it, I mean this is true with any game, but uh, or most games rather. But I feel like the decisions that were made in this game were be like, what would what would be what would be impress someone who's basically playing their first 3D game? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the decisions were like, we're, this is a new playing field. What is going to make people impress? What's going to make people feel immersed in this? World? world and there's a few other uh, things uh funny uh, trivia tidbits i pulled out like um adult link was made uh into a handsome character because uh koizumi's wife uh, was complaining that there were no handsome nintendo characters <laughs> although some people have a thing for luigi i found but uh that's why link is a is a smoking hot in people because uh, mm. well, that see? was that was very much the trend
2: of the time yeah you had sephiroth and alucard and probably uh, oh, a few other characters I Raiden that. was
1: a f- few years later but yeah, yeah. So he's from the same uh, system I guess yeah I actually I've met multiple women my age who totally I didn't feel this way for Link but multiple women my age who play those games are like oh yeah Link was so hot or he was my first crush or whatever hmm. or not first crush but yeah they were super into him like, especially dressing him up in the different tunics like it was they, they were into that
0: Hmm. yeah they were they head of the uh, savvy high rule. Mm-hmm. they were head of the whole like uh like I guess uh whisper thin bohemian type dreamy uh, protagonist like in Twilight or whatever, right? I feel like Japan was way ahead of the curve on that to begin with. Yep. like this is what women like. we know so um other things uh, again, we see uh, twin Peaks being a huge uh influence on this game. Strangely enough, is, uh, is it literally like Miyamoto has said that, or yeah, it was in so. it was in an interview. Like oh. Tezuka loved Twin Peaks, and when he was making Links Awakening, he came in and said, "I want this game to be full of suspicious and odd characters." That's that, that's a quote, and that all that also came into uh Ocarina. Like, yes, we like this. Uh, people like Twin Peaks because of the characters, not necessarily because of what happens in, in the show. So, um, because it kind of ended with a with a thud. But um, so yeah, the reason why Ocarina of Time is so weird, and I think Zelda games have a, a kind of off kilter like. Kind of dark, sinister, I don't know, attitude behind Mm -hmm. them. I I feel like Twin Peaks is still, you can still feel those echoes of Twin Peaks in the game. And um, Miyamoto does not like the timeline, everybody. So every time (laughs) you bring it up, it breaks his heart. Uh, He said, I wish people would just not think about it. And uh, because Miyamoto, like he worked on games like Popeye, he loves animation, he loves cartoons. He was like, I, I view my video game characters like I do like an old cartoon. Like they can play different roles, you know, they can be different characters. Like it, Mr. Video. So, so don't be so pedantic, everybody. Just like Popeye
1: can be Aladdin in one cartoon or whatever.
0: Exactly, like, and uh, I, I, again, you can you can believe in the timeline if you want to, mm-hmm. but it really is after the fact, and they they even say that. So, I, I you will hear no talk of well, oh, this is this is the timeline where this happens, and I. I'm not interested in that because I don't think it adds anything. Well, I, for timeline geeks, this is like the big one.
1: Like that's it true. Is the, it is the fork in the road from which all the other ones go. Like, but, uh,
2: you know, the, the whole timeline concept kind of revolves around an outcome that's not even possible by <laughs> playing the game. Yeah, yeah
1: that's true. You – I mean, it. yeah, I would think in time travel sci-fi stuff – that timeline doesn't exist. Like he closes the loop like that the world where Ganon wins doesn't happen because it didn't happen. It didn't. So, You can't spin out from there because uh, – yeah.
0: Hyrule is a world of futility and yeah, easily so
1: tricked
2: townspeople. he didn't save the world. He just saved one parallel version of the world. Mm-hmm. What a bummer. But it doesn't do anything for all those people trapped in the other timeline. Sure doesn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think – I don't know. It still seems
1: pretty nice on Mount Doom. Like, yeah. What about that? It it still seems pretty like sure, at Gannon's castle in his timeline it doesn't seem great, but no, they're still the, the
0: Gorons are still having fun. They are. It's, it's a world built for Gorons. Just eat rocks all day and hang out. Uh, so other things, um, I, again, like Miyamoto does not care for the time. I don't think he hates it, but he's just like, I remember uh, the quote from the interview I was reading this morning. He was saying, um, everyone was referring to this game as like an epic adventure, but I didn't feel like this was an epic game. Like I, I he, he just doesn't see it in the same way that we do. But he said he was very happy that. Like the whole world was able to enjoy a game that came from a very like Japanese uh, spirit, like a very Japanese-centric uh, philosophy I guess in terms of what they were referencing with fighting and things like that. So even if he didn't think that the game was epic, he was happy. Everyone appreciated it. And apparently um, one of the uh, – their biggest things they were proud of was Epona who was not uh, you know designed to be – from the from the beginning to be in the game and in fact it was sort of putting the horse before the cart i guess which which is the correct thing the way to do things and i'm not saying that to be clever it's really what happened it's just like the horse spawned the bigger overworld it wasn't the other way around it wasn't like oh we need a way to get for people to get around this overworld it's like no no we have we have a horse so now we can have more space so that was really what they were most proud of uh in this game giving link a horse and um
1: no, I love the start like the start screen or the idle screen, I guess you'd call it. They it really shows off how great it makes the world seem even bigger. Hy- Hyrule Fields seem even bigger mm-hmm. just through a lot of great camera tricks and just this kind of, uh, I guess you call it naturalistic feel of just a horse walking, like opponent just walking slowly. Yeah, around and, uh,
0: places. Koji Kondo was talking about the uh, the 3D remake and he was he was a real stickler of, of how the Ocarina should sound in the beginning when you're mm. listening to it on that title screen because he's like, I want it to sound like someone is playing that from the distance. So he's like, you have to turn up the reverb on this even if it'll mm. affect like performance on the 3DS. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I want this to sound like it's being played somewhere off screen, like a very haunting, like, who is that? Who's playing this melody? So, yeah, like so much attention to detail went into this game. And we will talk about the game itself in a second. But just just reading these interviews, and I really recommend you do this. They're so great. You get the sense of who Miyamoto is, just a very playful uh, but hardworking guy who drives his employees to do the best they can. And mm-hmm. it's funny that it's like if he thinks of an idea and he wants it in the game, you have to put that idea in the game. Like, yeah. no matter how long it'll take, like, he'll, he'll, he'll like, I, I, I thought of something in the shower. Let's put this in the game. And everyone's like, oh.
1: Well, that's a classic up in the tea table thing they always say about Miyamoto, that he's just like, ah, just flip it over. Like, nope, start over. Do yeah. this again, again. But that he can be such, like, a... A goofy, fun looking guy who is like the only Japanese executive who seemingly wears a t shirt and blazer. Yeah. Like he's the, he seems like such a fun dude, but yeah, I think it would be tough working for him sometimes in and that
0: case. I really do see, uh, I mean, I've said this before on Retronauts, I'm pretty sure I did, but um, it's often been said that the, the mask salesman who plays a much bigger role in the next Zelda game, uh, mm-hmm. he's based on Miyamoto. And just reading the interviews with Miyamoto, it has to be true. Now yeah. Because like that guy's attitude is like, you're going to do this really hard thing for me, but you can do it. Like yeah. he's just I know like, you can. Yeah. Yeah, he's like very straightforward, and maybe like a slightly passive aggressive way. Who knows if that's what his management style is? <laughs> yeah. I feel there there is a little bit like, of course you'll do this for me. Why wouldn't you? No yeah. matter how hard it is, you'll do it. I bet he I'm wishes he could
1: give people. Masks that would make them be faster. Yeah, like, here's a mask to make you go faster and faster.
0: Everyone at EAD is wearing bunny hats. Uh, here's the song <laughs> of extending development time. God, yeah. And guess what? They needed that because um, this was originally re- uh, intended to be released on uh, Christmas of '97, mm-hmm. but of course, it didn't release until November of '98. So. Um, yeah, it was funny in the interview I read. It was like they were they were afraid to say like we were relieved by we had another year, but they really were <laughs> like mm. it's it's not a good thing to say like oh good our game won't come out for a year. But everyone was like oh god thank god like they, I mean the the ambition of that
1: game is so extreme you need that too. And yeah, I was reading also that this this seemed to come at kind of an interesting time in Miyamoto's career because it was when the N sixty four rolled around he became just an executive instead of just a guy even in charge of just EAD he became. I Well, now his official title is Creative Fellow, but by the descriptions of his job then, it was just, you oversee all the games. Just make sure they're good. Give notes. And this was, like, one of the last times he got more
0: hands-on in directing stuff. Oh, for sure. Like, he was just a supervisor. and um, But it, it seemed like a lot of things happened uh, towards the end of development when he, like, actually rolled up his sleeves and got to work with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, And uh, Tezucar, buddy, who we, we say is so great and awesome, he was just a supervisor. And the, the interviews I read with him was, like, I was – he was kind of, like, saying in not so many words, like, I was glad that I wasn't part of this because it seemed <laughs> like it, it it almost killed everybody. Like, I, I tried to give the best advice I could, but just, like, oh, I was glad I was working on something else he probably was working on Yoshi's story or something who knows what he was doing I don't know what Tezuka was doing in 1996 I assume he had some ideas oh god so yes now it's time to talk about our main topic even more but the game itself Ocarina of Time we're talking about Ocarina of Time today, and uh, regardless of how well you think it's aged, I find this era of game development very interesting, as you probably heard me talk about on the Mario episode. It's basically people trying to figure out how 3D games work, Mm -hmm. and Nintendo got it right with Mario 64 when it came to just a pure action game, and I feel like they got it right the first time with Zelda, although, I mean, this is not a flawless game. There are problems with it that have aged very poorly, but I've been playing it over again, and I'm like, wow, they really did they really used all that extra time they had to make this right because they had to. They Could you imagine if this game came out and it was a bad Zelda game? It was a first-person, like, I'm stuck in Ganon's ca- Castle Adventure or something like that? Well, this is – I mean that, that's a big difference I guess philosophically
1: business-wise that – they maybe could have just shoved it out the door in 97 and said like this is good enough for Christmas and we need something the N64 desperately needs something
0: for Christmas 97 was Christmas 97 uh, Diddy Kong Racing is that their was. game of the year okay I thought it, so
1: I mean yeah the N64 without Rare like we can bag on Rare games but without it what e- like there's yeah. a, even was, more was, Dead Zones it was
2: Perfect Dark and Diddy Kong Racing so Perfect
0: Dark was 2000 right no, Perfect or not Perfect Dark, Dark. Eye. That's, that's right sorry. oh yeah Eye. same game yeah one has <laughs> 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 A bond or two uh, yeah so I mean this 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 uh, era of development is just so interesting to me because uh, again uh, we do we do love Nintendo here but there's a reason like many 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 developers tried doing 3d and failed but they they hit it right out of, out of the gate so um, and I feel like we're a little too old for this, but I feel like just like how Mario Brothers was a huge game for me, the original Super Mario Brothers, it's like I saw it, I played it, I was like, this is my life now. I feel like for kids 10 years younger than me who are now almost 30, <laughs> uh, this is their big game. I think this is, a, this is a, a younger generation's big game. Do you guys agree with me? Like, I feel like oh, yeah. this is like the defining game of generation. Like I've
1: I've had multiple of those, like, best game ever conversations in an, on an editorial level, and people always start with like, well, Ocarina is number one, talk me out of it. I'm like, well, all right if I must. But, yeah, I think that's – I think it is many people's like most historically important game ever kind of thing because it was mind-blowing at the time to see. For a lot of people I know anyway, it's they always think it's like Ocarina is the most important and best game ever. Maybe I just don't give millennials the time of day or something. <laughs> I've, never,
2: I've never really had that conversation. To me, in my experience, people who are, you know, 10, 15 years younger than us um, – tend to gravitate more toward Pokemon
1: yeah I mean that's an important one I guess like Pokemon doesn't seem epic enough to be given a number one slot on a best games ever list at least for the people I've talked with they mm. want a three-dimensional game like that's a real game in those conversations uh, like, yeah if you give if you give anything with pixels number one they you're treated like a, an old fuddy duddy who
0: is yeah. Who uses the word fuddy-duddy. That's how old you are. (laughs) Only fuddy-duddies use fuddy-duddy. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel it's true. And, like, I I can't imagine how excited, how much more excited I would have been for this game if I was, like, Eight instead of sixteen, which is how old I was when this game came out. I was I was only slightly jaded then, not <laughs> completely jaded. At sixteen, I was still old enough to appreciate it. Yeah, but, yeah,
1: and yeah. I I had been waiting for it and reading. I think actually, I got. I had just gotten sick of reading about it. I was like, I've read about this from Space World like twice now. I can't.
0: I can't wait another six months. And we did wait a long time. Mm-hmm. So I w- I've been playing this game over again. I didn't finish it again for the show because it, it, it does go on for a bit towards the end. But um, one thing I was really surprised by in this game is the fact that um, it's essentially it has to teach a player how to play a game in a 3D space. Even if they played Mario, there there's a new, there's a new focus on mm-hmm. attacking and finding things and opening doors and, you know, it, there's a whole bunch of other things you have to do. Regardless, though, within 15 minutes, you are in your first dungeon and figuring things out like this game cuts to. The chase. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's like, there's an, a sense of economy to this game that I really appreciate. I'm guessing it was out of necessity because they just had to make such a big game. But man, modern Zelda games just take forever to start. Mm-hmm. And playing this is just like wow. Like this game is designed for people that have not played a 3D game before, and it still gets off the ground. Like I would say, roughly 10 to 20 times faster than like Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess, or the, or even the Wind Waker, which I love. Yeah, one of the interesting things is how thoughtfully they designed the first dungeon, the the Deku
2: Tree. Um, You know, a lot of games, when you have that sort of introductory design, it's like, this is how you attack an enemy. This is how you, you know, manage defense and that sort of thing. So it's like the fundamentals. This game is teaching you how to look at the world. The Deku Tree has lots of multi-tiered challenges and places where it deliberately says you need to stop looking ahead of you and look up or look down and Mm -hmm. think three-dimensionally. Like the entire Deku Tree is a vertical space and there's you know there are challenges and puzzles within each sort of horizontal level of of the tree but then solving the overall puzzle involves you climbing up to the top and plunging to the bottom and you know really making use of space and gravity and height and yeah. that's um you know like that that idea of learning to play in a 3d space really comes through here there are there will be no cons with their two dimensional thinking captain it will <laughs> always be you know, like, this game is always going to be about the three-dimensional space, and they they get that for you right out of the gate.
0: I did notice that. I wrote that down even. I just wrote down verticality because you're right, Jeremy. They don't, like, wait to introduce it. Like, we're just going to give you a regular dungeon that's all on one floor just to, you know, break you in. It's like, no, like, the point of that first dungeon is to plunge through that spider web that's blocking the bottom floor where you mm-hmm. need to go. And I find that most of the dungeons in the game have, like, a central, like, very tall hub that you have to work your way around and, like, understand visually, like, where you are Uh, in comparison to other things, you know, to find keys and to hit switches and things like that.
2: Yeah, and in fairness, I mean, that wasn't some new idea. Oh, no. There there were a lot of uh, areas in the original Tomb Raider that were kind of built around that central hub. There was one, there was like five branching puzzles coming off of a main central hub. And part of the challenge of the game was like solving those puzzles, but also kind of navigating that central space. But I think Zelda handles it much more fluidly and um, painlessly... Than, uh, than Tomb Raider did which makes sense it's a different kind of game
0: yeah and it had the benefit of uh, analog controls instead of just the weird Tomb Raider math you had to do yeah. to jump <laughs> Well, and also, it had
1: it taught you little things too in that opening, like about burning stuff, about mm-hmm. like about your inventory, and also just deflect. Like it has your first shield deflection stuff too. It's like you got uh, hit this Deku dude with it, and it, it's about deflecting in three dimensional space, which you'd never had to do before either.
0: Yeah, it was really impressive just how much teaching they packed into this first level. Mm-hmm. And like again, I, I have to say this again, like. This, this feels appropriate even 20 years later. I don't need the five-hour Zelda opening that's like, here's how you swing your sword vertically. Now swing it horizontally. Just like, no, no, I can figure that out. It's cool. Just let me play the game. So you I'm hoping the to next— yeah, I got it. Sorry, you don't need to wait two hours to be handed a sword. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this game gets it right, uh, even though it had to teach so much. It does it so smartly, which is the Nintendo difference, I think. So um, we have some other things in here like the auto jump, which uh, was very controversial for the for the team developing it. Like it's one of those things that Miyamoto came up with, and it's just like yes. We're, take out the jump button. We are the team who makes Mario games. We're gonna make a game without a jump button in a 3D <laughs> space. That's crazy, but that way they could program where Link would land, you know, because if you if you run up to a ledge and there's something on the other ledge, the game will know where to bring him without you having to jump and look at a shadow and things like that. It's really smart. And again, it's something that the team fought a little bit, but Miyamoto's like, no, this is my idea. And we see uh, like solutions for travel in things like Assassin's Creed that are very much similar to this, where it's like you don't have to think about every granular motion. You have to just push forward on the stick and go to where you want to go. Don't worry about jumping or anything like that. Assassin's Creed, it's it's a lot – there's a lot more shortcuts involved with both Zelda. The auto jump was really important in making things that didn't need to be complicated uh, less complicated, I think.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well – you know having even that much extensive platforming was kind of new for a Zelda game not to say that you didn't have to jump from a thing to another thing if you got say like rock boots or whatever in in the 2D ones but this had some like just to get to the um, just to get to the the pool of the Zora cave like you just there's a ton of jumping involved in yeah that.
2: well again Zelda 2 the influence yeah. shows up there that game was very much about jumping and platforming that was a big part of that game
1: yeah that's true well didn't they even like city names or character and city names from Zelda 2 are character names in this game oh yeah they're all the sages that,
0: yeah. they are all the sages and I can't think of most of their names except for Saria Drunia,
2: Saria Ruto I'm gonna Parappa yes Parappa <laughs> really oh no that was a palace
0: okay got it I, I just remember that And uh, again, I brought this up before in Link to the Past episode, but this game is super heavily reliant on uh, a Link to the Past structure, which would become kind of the de facto Zelda structure, where you have the beginning trio of dungeons, something happens, and you have five to seven more dungeons, and there's eight total in this game, I believe, maybe nine if you count Ganon's Palace. Don't don't uh, don't yell at me if I got that wrong. I just <laughs> I'm trying to remember. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, how did you guys feel about that? I've said this before, and I'm sorry for repeating myself on this podcast, but like that kind of struck me as a little disappointing, having played A Link to the Past, like, oh, Kakariko Village is here, and this is, oh, I'm doing this again, and like, oh, wow. So the fact that there was a twist uh, wasn't... Uh, affecting me in any way was it was it supposed to be a twist i don't know but did you guys twist is that uh the fact that like you you go to the future in this game but i mean i guess if you were paying attention to uh the years and years of coverage you would have already known that but um yeah Mm. did you guys uh were you guys taken aback by that or did you think it was strange or different or like a like a weird idea to just lean so heavily on only to the past because every Zelda game before that was pretty different
2: Um, it didn't strike me as weird. I did notice it for sure. I was like, I've already kind of done this before. Um, But it makes sense. Like, when you have to develop new mechanics and new play interactions, you know, look back at something that worked in 2D and figure out how does this work in 3D as opposed to reinventing the wheel from wheel from scratch. Yeah. That's a problem, you know, a, a mistake a lot of developers made in trying to turn 2D franchises into 3D spaces, 3D games. Like, the Sonic series never took off until the Dreamcast era because Sega just couldn't figure out, like, how do we do this? You know, there's yeah. stuff
0: like Bubsy 3D that's better forgotten. It's, it's for the best <laughs> that Sonic Extreme never came out here, but... I mean, Henry, how did you feel about this? I mean, I'm sure you um, played Link for the past before this. Oh, I'm yeah. guessing, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. That yeah, all the ads, all this coverage had an adult link in it, but for some reason, it didn't. I guess I wasn't, um, I wasn't well versed enough in games to recognize. Like, oh, I'm definitely going to be a grown up at this point. So when the the opening three dungeons were done. I wasn't seeing it coming, but it definitely felt like, well, this isn't long enough to be the Zelda game. This isn't long enough to be Ocarina. and But I didn't see it coming so much, though I did, I did notice, like, once they introduced Ganon Dorf— I thought you have to grow up and face the real. Named Ganon after some the point.
0: famous Tim Conway character we all know and love, <laughs> right. Man.
1: Ganondorf on golf, saying "fuddy One duddy"
0: and referencing Dorf. <laughs> yeah. Someone put us all in a nursing home because it's over.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I I liked it. I also do think that kind of structure of. I like the repeating structure in that if this is—there's a saying in comic books writing that, like, every comic book is some kid's first comic book. So don't don't have all this assumed knowledge. And I right. think maybe it's the same deal. You know, you have a new Zelda game that then takes a twist or a big turn after the introductory dungeons. I think that will be mind-blowing to a new player who's never played a Zelda game each time they do it. So just as it was for me the first time when I played Link to the Past and saw— oh, these three things I did and then I just fought this boss, now the game has started. It's at, it's the same level for that and I think it probably did impress
0: a bunch of kids at that time. Oh, for sure. And I'm hoping that they do something similar but different, if that makes sense, for the new Zelda game, where it's like mm-hmm. you play through the first dungeon as uh, Link, but he's killed or kidnapped, and then you play as, like, Linkle or some some new character. Mm-hmm. I don't know. that That is very Link-esque. I don't think they'll actually do it, but I I, I would like to be taken by surprise by another twist like that because I believe it got me in A Link to the Past. And uh, same thing with Final Fantasy VI. Like, I was like, whoa, there's more game? I thought the game was over. Yeah, I'm not really seeing them kill off Link in the new game, but... Um... Some kind of twist like that. Put him would be in a crystal or something. Sure. Stick him in there. And now Zelda has to save him. Yes. That'd be cool. Uh, it'd be better than that face. What was it was that the uh the quote unquote Zelda's good Adventure. CDI game? Zelda's Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> was that supposed to be the bet the, the, the only semi-salvageable one I, of that I collection? Guess. The only one that wouldn't give you cancer on site. Yeah. Oh CDI. There's a class action lawsuit coming for you guys. And disc interface. <laughs> so this uh, this this Zelda adventure would also have a bunch of new races uh, that uh, one of which would be uh, kind of like a anthropomorphizing of a, of a former monster race. So we have the Deku, which be, which would get a little more um, personified in the next game as this like m- race of merchants that everybody hates. That <laughs> they I I feel like there there's some weird uh, commentary there. I won't go into uh, mm. Gorons. I mean yeah. The Gorons are the the lazy rock people which are, are these guys like ripped off of a never ending story I've never seen never ending story
1: Well no I mean there's the guy that's the, the rock fighter. yeah yeah it's not really the Okay same. I
0: wasn't sure I, for some reason I was just that just popped into my head I apologize uh, Hylians are just your standard uh Europeanish people in this the world The beautiful elf people Yes uh, Zora are even more beautiful. They look like kind of like gray aliens. They're like these sleek and, and like wondrous creatures who look nothing like the gaping mod like fish people of the past games. They really they really got a makeover in this game. Talk about um,
1: yeah. I wonder if it's because uh the the Ruto, they wanted her to be this cute Character, and so they're like, "Well, we have to, we have to change the entire race to even create a beautiful princess character." Uh, they didn't just do the sexual dimorphism thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they put a bow on her head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's funny that every, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about the last race in a second, but it's funny that every uh, every representative of, of every race in this game, when you save the day, they want to like hug you or like like do this P- act of PDA that makes Link really uncomfortable. <laughs> I just noticed that it's like the princess wants to smooch you and the Goron wants to like. I guess wrestle with you or something, I don't know.
1: Is that about how Japanese people think Americans hug too much?
0: I don't know. I don't know what the Goron stereotype is, but uh we have the Kokiri, which are which is what um I guess are the forest people, which Link is not one of them or maybe he's half Kokiri. That's that's correct. No, right?
1: no, he's just he he's 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 a Hillian. that's all he is. Okay, like, got it. He is adopted by them and that's why he never got his own he didn't
0: get his own um fairy, fairy yeah. because he's not one of them. And if you'll if you'll pardon me, uh, as I pull over my PC police paddy wagon, I'm going to mention the Gerudo who um, I feel they wouldn't make this choice today. I feel like you making a PC <laughs> thug here, man. making your villain a hook-nosed brown person uh, seems a little in, in, t- in touch with the token-esque uh, you know world they're creating. But I feel like they they would be a little more sensitive these days, you know. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to say that their intentions were wrong. But it is a very stock uh, stereotype, like the the savage bandits of the desert. You know, whatever they're pulling from a lot of stereotypes. But I feel like they might have. They might go for a different choice. And I, I feel like they they portray Ganondorf as more of a green flesh character than a brown flesh character these days.
1: Yeah, I think he's uh, gotten less brown as time has gone yeah. on. But that it's, I I like the. That I like that race in the at least the idea that there's only one guy born every year. That yes. I don't know how
0: <laughs> well, biologically that works. They kidnap carpenters, and oh. the rest is up to you, Henry. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I so, forgot, the, forgot that there's a lot of implied uh, nastiness happening in this mm. world. But uh, man, yeah, that's not so great. Nope.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think the Gerudo were a learning opportunity for Nintendo because that was kind of the big uh, controversy behind the game. Is that originally some of the music associated with the Gerudo involved oh, Islamic you're right. chants? That's right. Um, and it was Muslims actually were like, uh, "Hey, no, <laughs>
0: that's holy to us. What are you doing?" Yeah, it was actually the fire temple that had that. Uh, okay, but uh, I mean sampled. that was that right, was right. associated with them. Yeah, but it, yeah, you're right, Jeremy. It wasn't like you can't just pull from everything, even if it's out of context. Yeah. Like people are going to get offended, and if you're not offended, that's fine. But if you are offended, that's also fine.
1: Well, they. I mean, it's it seems just like a bunch of very like they're they're kind of gins as well. That's like, true. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of mythical. St- Stereotypes from there as well, which uh, I, I, you know, they have like the baggy hammer pants. They <laughs> they live in the they live in the desert, all that stuff. But right, and they kind of are jerks. That is
0: true, they are jerks. But they're also uh, they're they're these uh, savage uh, warrior uh, female female tribe. This this these Amazons, but they still like cower like like, frighten children when, like, bees fall into their midst or whatever. Do you remember that? <laughs> I'd be afraid of bees, too. They should tough it out. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to read too much into the Gerudo. Maybe I just, they have allergies. They, they could. They don't want to go
2: into
1: anaphylactic
2: Yeah.
0: It just feels like a weird choice for the game, having played it again. I'm like, oh, okay. But,
1: I read they cut that Islamic – their reasoning – they said their reasoning for cutting the Islamic ber- verse just wasn't that – it or chanting – that it wasn't just that specific religion, but that they – They say that an across-the-board Nintendo rule is, like, no religion. We don't talk about any religion. Yeah, and that's probably true,
2: and... I think they were just ignorant of the significance of, of what sure. they incorporated because mm. they were really sensitive to uh, Christianity in America.
0: There's also the – there was the Islamic um, moon on Link's shield, the mirror shield, which they removed for oh, the yeah, revision. So there's that right. – there, there are a couple of versions that then like uh, Ganon now bleeds green. So there's mm. uh, there's a few changes like that in version like 1.01 or that whatever. That one pissed me off. I was like,
1: come on. That was yeah. so hardcore seeing all his blood.
2: God. Yeah. I mean I think, I think Nintendo just kind of made the – somewhat easy error to make, like, you know, be sensitive to the culture we're targeting and aiming for, but um, not really think about, like, what about these other people in the world that we're drawing inspiration from, Mm -hmm. but not really considering. And I, I think... I think Ocarina of Time was a chance for Nintendo to kind of enter a, the bigger world and become aware that there is more than just like the U.S., Japanese and European markets. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And before you tweet at me or send me nasty messages, I'm not offended. I'm not saying Nintendo is racist or anything like that. Like we're, we're just putting this in the context. It, it was a choice made out of ignorance, not out of malice. And they learned from it. So we're happy about that. And I'm not like recoiling, fighting uh, – these uh these desert warriors in the desert or anything it's fine. I thought you were pl- ca- about to call for an entire bo- boycott. Boycott right Nintendo. No. Okay, I'm going to drive away the PC p- the PC police paddy wagon now and talk about um the Hyrule field which we d- I mean it doesn't seem that big now. And but the thing is, there's not a whole lot to do. And the, the I think the idea was like just riding a horse will be fun. So I think this is one of those ideas that was like, yes, in 1997 or 8, uh, whenever this idea was implemented, yes, this is a cool thing. But now... Uh, we just want to fast travel around the world, don't we? Like, yeah. I don't want I to don't. ride a, a digital horse to my next destination. Really. I think
1: even by like the second to last dungeon, I was like, I don't want to ride all the way across there to this thing. Like, yeah. Even if you get that, you know, the fast mask or whatever, you're still just like, God, uh, same with like you could do something like shoot eight ghosts or whatever, like catch those ghosts and put them in a put them in a bottle.
0: Yeah, that did feel like a, a missed opportunity, especially in terms of enemy encounters, where there's kind of like these random skeletons that pop out of the ground. There, there's really nothing else to do outside of that. There's nothing to fight. There's those like those pee hats, I think they're called. The th- yep. But they're too hard to fight. Mm-hmm. So you just no, kind of. it was
1: of, cool to watch them crash. Those you are cool. Kill them.
0: And I mean first emerging into that field and seeing those things take off, you're like, oh my God, what's what what's, what's it gonna do to me? But um yeah. so uh, let's take a break. and when we get back, I'm gonna talk about spiders. We're back, and I wanted to talk about spiders, our, our eight-legged friends uh, <laughs> all around the world. This game, I, I, I also call Ocarina of Times oops, all spiders, because there are a lot of spiders in this game. Like, I feel like every other enemy is a sculptula, which are these hanging things that are kind of annoying to fight because you do have to wait for them to spin around unless you have the hook shot, which you don't get until halfway through the game. And there's also the golden sculptulas, which are hidden all around the world. If you collect all 100, you get something that was never worth it because you're already at the end of the game. What mm-hmm. do you get, like infinite money for getting all the skullchulas? Yeah,
1: and that is, looking back on it, that's one of the disappointments of the game. It feels totally tacked on, like... Not unlike Amiibo support in some games now, it's just like, well, we've we've got this Rumble Pack. We didn't think of much for oh, it. Oh, that's right,
0: the Rumble Pack. Let's
1: just th- okay, then it'll be your divining
0: rod for finding golden sculptures. How does that work in the the 3DS uh, remake? It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Okay, wow.
1: <laughs> well, no multiple. Like uh, I do believe the Wii U one brought back the Rumble function, but on the Wii Virtual Console release of it, there's like it doesn't rumble.
0: Like mm. we didn't we didn't figure out how to make Listen, it happen. There's a, there's a place called Game Facts. Just go there and we mm-hmm. will tell you where you need to go
1: if you actually want to collect all those things
0: yeah this this feels like a, a more modern i know this is not an open world game but it's a modern open world game trope that is in every ubisoft game in fact there was that one i just played like at a preview event it's like you found one of eight million things now find the rest they're they're, they're hidden everywhere and it's just like wow we'll give
1: you something every 50 of those yeah
0: and i mean that wasn't that was in grand theft auto as well where yeah, it's gta like, 4 is pigeons that was the point at which i was just like oh. you know what I actually don't care. <laughs> Those are sadistic because they could fly around and they're tiny and they could probably clip through things. Man. So, yeah. Sculptulas is uh, – I don't know. I mean I, I, I can forgive it. It was, a, it was a game from 1998 and I, I do like the, the Sculptula family. Yeah. Like, that, that was the yeah. thing
1: that kept me collecting because just their, their sob story was just too much for me. I was like, oh, you you all have been transformed and I have to change you back one person at a time every Sculptula I patch.
0: I do like how dark it is. There are like these horrible, twisted Cronenbergian nightmares yeah. that drop from the ceiling. Are like Help us.
1: That's a small taste of something you'd see like around every corner in Majora's Mask. Yeah. But this is. I like when you'd find little things like that in here that show you the the real weirdness. They would totally
0: indulge in in Majora's Mask. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is just hints of it. And that reminds me. Like I find that these uh, just going back and playing the game, I'm surprised by how how small like Hakariko Village is and how small Hyrule Castle Village is. Mm. And there's little things laid into the game that kind of try to excuse it. Like, uh, apparently Kakariko is like a new village when you're a child. Like, oh. you're taking over um, the territory of uh, Impa's people, Impa's tribe, whatever ah, that is. Right. Like, the Sheikah yeah. or whatever. Like, she, she opened up that land to, to people moving out of Hyrule Castle to kind of, like, expand. So, there's when when you go there, they're still building it. There's, like, all the carpenters are hanging around, and there's not a lot of people. So, I think they try to excuse it that way. And, um, and also, like, uh, I feel like the whole past and present mechanic, which we still need to talk About like that's ambitious, but I think the future side of things doesn't really have a lot of changes like man I wish they would use this idea again because now that they know how to make a 3D game they could do a lot more with it but I found that like in the future section of this game which is why I don't like it as much as the child section it's like I like the dark atmosphere but it. I find that it removes a lot of content from the game like Hyrule Castle Village is deserted and full of mm-hmm. zombies which is cool but again you don't get to talk to those people unless you talk to the ones who relocated to Kakariko Village and like most of the places you go like there's like one Goron left and like one Zora left it's just like and then like your, your home village is completely deserted. Like I feel like, man, I wish there was more play between the past and the present in this game because the future – I mean the past and the future. The future is cool but, again, so much content is removed. Like how did you guys feel about that? Even thinking about like the light world, dark world mechanic, um, we haven't seen an idea like this in a Zelda game since – which I find pretty disappointing for as much as they reuse.
1: I liked, I did like the time travel aspect of it, though I also thought sometimes when Link goes back in time, I was like, can't he warn people of something? Or yeah. there could <laughs> be, couldn't he plant a tree and then see the tree somewhere else? They oh. only had little things like you that. You can't okay, plant a tree Peter Molino.
0: Yeah. That's funny you mentioned that, Henry, because I mean, that's one of the past. Future mechanic things—you can plant a seed, and then it'll grow into a floating platform. And oh, I feel shit. like you're right. That was like the early roots of like drawing back to the early roots of the disc drive, the Nintendo mm-hmm. 64 DD, where it's like you can plant a tree, and then your system's clock will change, and the tree will grow. I feel like anyone who makes a game about the passage of time—that's like their first idea, or at least that was not the '90s. They were obsessed with growing trees for some reason. Yeah,
2: Molina did that with Fable.
0: Mother 3 was supposed to have that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Zelda was never designed for the disk drive because that was a later idea. But I'm sure like— The it, disk
1: drive was in mind for them right. like at first uh, early on. And then they decided, no, let's just make a giant cartridge
0: that will be expensive instead. Yeah. And I guess— Whole oh,
1: 32 megabytes. Oh, my God.
0: That's where Ura Zelda came from, right? The disk drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what was the story behind that? I, I just thought of that but on the way up well, I mean, up it was just
1: supposed to be the Master Quest. Basic- Or like remix. Yeah, it was stuff. basically
2: like going to be the second quest. You would you would um uh I think you would have to have the cartridge for Ocarina of Time and then plug in the Ura Zelda and it would basically unlock an entire, you know, reversed game. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Which then they just ended up doing any like they they made it or they made enough of it that then they could put it on the
0: GameCube disc. Like, that was the big... I may be getting ahead of ourselves here. no. Please talk about it. Okay, this disc is amazing, Henry. What is on this disc?
1: Well, Uh, jeez. Well, I mean, it's the original... uh, It has the original Ocarina of Time plus Master Quest Ocarina of Time.
0: Right. And you got that for reserving the Wind Waker, I I believe, right? You reserved
1: the Wind Waker, yeah. It was kind of like... uh, it, It was so special at the time for Nintendo nerds because a re-release Zelda thing didn't really happen. Like, you right. didn't get a re-release Zelda game kind
0: of ever. We did not have a virtual console yet to no, make now, our dreams come true.
1: Now these things all sound like things like Mario All-Stars or this disc of Zelda games. It doesn't sound as special because you're like, well, yeah, I'll just buy it on the on the virtual console. Hopefully it should be one of the, like, ten games on the virtual console. Yeah. But uh, back then, that disc was special, especially when, like, The GameCube, you were still having all these like dry periods, so why not beat Ocarina of time again, and then a third time in Master
0: Quest. <laughs> That's true. You could just play Master Quest from the beginning, which I don't know if you can do that on the 3DS game. I think you may have to beat the game first to uh, in, unlock that Master I Quest. I
1: think so. In the Majora's Mask 3DS, that one you can start Master okay. Quest from the
0: beginning. But I found the... the uh, I think they, they did more changes for the 3DS version, which which took them a long time to make. They basically recreated the game from scratch. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe the first release of Zelda Master Quest was a little like undercooked. Like I remember a few changes, like Oh, in the uh, Jabu Jabu's belly, there's now cows sticking out of the walls, yeah. which is a cool choice. But I don't remember mm. anything being that substantially different. Like, I Aren't kind there of are a bunch it... of reversed dungeons. Yeah, like dungeons? the like
1: I remember mm. the fire dungeon being. Totally relayed out like, oh, here's the door. No, that's not the door. Crap. I guess
0: it didn't really matter to me because I had not memorized the level. So it was just like, oh, it's mm. like uh, a, a, just a different kind of dungeon.
1: It was more like one of those phantom limb feelings you have. Just like, oh, I remember a thing here, but now it's not here. But I don't
0: – I didn't have it all memorized. But I definitely realized like, oh, this door didn't open when it was supposed to. So, I mean, we're talking about dungeons now. And we brought up how they have a lot of focus on verticality. But, I mean, I guess the elephant in the room is the mm-hmm. water temple. And I'm one of those jerks that's like, that wasn't very hard. But, I, I mean, like, jerk. I am a huge jerk. But uh, it wasn't hard. It was just tedious. It was. that That's exactly what I wanted to mm-hmm. say. Like, Onuma was like, I wish people would stop bringing that up to me. He's like, it's not difficult. <laughs> it's just inconvenient because you have to keep taking it off and on the boots. Yeah. But they fixed that in the 3DS mm-hmm. version. I think they made, like, one switch easier to yep. find. But
1: Well, yeah, they just put a bunch of, they basically put lights around it. Like, here it is. The yeah. – the, here's the – you know, your landing strip or whatever. Go it's over It's like there's here. like a
0: waypoint on it or well, something. Also,
1: you could just – instead of pause, menu, boots on, pause, boots off, pause. Instead of that, you just tap the bottom screen. It, it takes a lot of the tedium out of it though. I still remember – yeah, I – it was too hard for me the Water Temple the first time as a uh, 16-year-old. And that like – I definitely needed to go to my uh, – well, actually I was going to say GameFAQs but I dug up my – Prima strategy guide over Ooh. the Thanksgiving break and found it is beat up. <laughs> did you take notes in it? No, I wasn't the note taking. Like sh- type. chic equals Zelda? Question <laughs> mark. Maybe, uh, but I definitely needed it for the for the water temple because the other it the other part of the Tedium was like if you did one thing wrong, you had to do like eight steps over again to get the water at the right mm-hmm. stage. Like, oh, I missed this one jump. All right, switch. Switch, switch,
0: switch. That that was Ugh, annoying. That would be crazy. Before you get mad at me for saying it was easy, though, I was, like, hopelessly stuck in the Forest Temple for, like, hours when I was playing it over Thanksgiving <laughs> wow. again. And it's like, I had I, I don't know. Like, I find that temple is my least favorite, which is probably why I, I stopped playing so often at that point. So,
1: yeah, that actually is was a breaking point for me, kind of. So I played it a ton. I got it day one. I got it at, uh, in for the Thanksgiving break. Played it a ton. But when I when I finished the Water Temple... Maybe it broke my brain, but I could not figure out the puzzle about getting the light arrows, like of shooting an arrow at the sun. Like it just – it didn't – it never clicked in my head to do it. And so I was just – I ran in circles for a while and I was like – Forget this. Screw it. <laughs> and I eventually came back to it, you know, that's weeks funny. later and just read what the thing was.
0: That but. kind of secret is, is kind of borrowed from Mario 64 when you have to look at the sun to get yeah. the wing cap. Mm-hmm. It's like the similar idea. But yeah, that's something like I found funny about this game is like there are these, these kind of like old old fashioned secrets like that that are in the game that are not really spelled out to you. Not even like Navi, who we haven't talked about yet. She won't even tell <laughs> you. Like in the Fire Temple, there is a, there is a block, like a, a, there are these blue blocks that you have to move by playing the Song of Time, Mm -hmm. but in no way does the game ever tell you that. Like, there's just the insignia of that song on the block, and unless you're looking through your menu, you're not going to put the two together, so these old style secrets are still in the game and there's not a lot of help there for them so I can see how even modern players can get stuck with these mm-hmm. which is why there's that weird hint system in the 3DS version. Yeah, they, Grezzo needed to
1: make it things a little more clear to younger people. I, guess.
0: I, I like that hint system though because it shows you like a part of the process like kind of to nudge you in the right direction but it doesn't mm-hmm. just be like, oh here's how you do it, you know like it's like here's step one, here's where you need to kind of go mm-hmm. to uh, figure this out. It's not like in, you know a new Super Mario Brothers game where like
1: you're in Invincible, and uh, here's <laughs> the end, right
0: here. We'll just make a ramp for yeah, you. I, I like that; it, it feels less patronizing. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of there's lots of cool changes, and we talked about um, how uh, how Koji Kondo was really obsessed with the music which is why uh, like uh, he didn't he didn't want a, a like a, a singular theme to drone on when you're in that huge uh, that huge overworld so mm-hmm. there's all these like little kind of like flourishes that come in and out when you're approaching enemies and the the song itself is very long too it's probably like 6 or 7 minutes long mm-hmm. so you're not always just hearing the same like 1 minute loop over and over again
1: though it was a thing like a lot of Zelda fans did not like that the the Zelda theme isn't there like you don't have that overworld theme oh that is theme. true yeah it was a big deal in Majora's Mask that the over the the equivalent terminal field had the. Some
0: people made a big deal that, of it. That, I know Jeremy was shrugging, but if people yeah. really were like celebrating it, like finally. But I, I can see why. Like it's 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 like a 45 second loop, mm-hmm. which is why Kondo did not want that playing throughout the whole overworld over and over again. Like he was mm-hmm. a, like a conscious decision to not do that. I
1: know. Yeah. People, it,
0: people were equally equally angry about the lack of traditional Final
1: Fantasy music <laughs> in Final Fantasy seven VII and 8, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. People people get bent out of shape about it's weird to see when
1: like when eventually nostalgia defeats artistic. Intent, but, yeah. Uh...
0: So, yeah, and, like, there are some other changes here that I am not—I don't really associate with Koji Kondo, being a guy who makes these, like, very catchy melodies. Like, the uh, the dungeon songs are just these atmospheric kind of ambient uh, background noise that set the mood, but there's no, like, melody you can pick out of them. They're just, like, sound effects and, you know, just, like, noises and, and like, maybe, like, a little hint of an instrument here and there, which mm-hmm. I found really interesting. Like, even going back into it... It does feel like a very non-Nintendo choice, but it's there to provide that immersion for being in this 3D world. Yeah, he was in Brian Eno mode. <laughs> and this could have been the last uh the last game he composed music for just by himself. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, I think he's just been a uh, yeah, one of those a similar Miyamoto position of just like I I help, I assist, I rewrite things. I I get a big paycheck at Nintendo, but I'm not being the full composer on anything Yeah, anymore.
0: like he oversees a lot of stuff, but this is the last really hands-on thing. Um so another major facet of this game, of course, is the titular Ocarina, which I feel like made this game what it is, not just because it's in the title, where where you are not only in a 3D world, which is cool enough as it was in 1998. You're in this 3D world, but you can also control certain elements of it. You can turn day into night when it, the time flows naturally. You can make it rain for a short period of time. You can transport around. Like I feel like the Ocarina was instrumental in and giving, yeah, I get it. And <laughs> giving players empowerment in this world, this 3D world, where you might not have explored a 3D world ever before, and now you can explore it and change things. And mm. again, this is something I was disappointed to see fall out of Zelda with Twilight Princess and. Um, What's the other one? Skyward Sword. The use of an instrument was really downplayed. You're not doing as much changing of the world. And you don't really need to do that, but I feel like of all the things you borrow, why not use these cool ideas again? Because there's a lot of space to play around with the Ocarina songs. I don't know, Henry, how do you feel about the Ocarina as, as like a as like a toy and a tool in this game?
1: I liked I liked tooling around with it. I liked that it was kind of functionally an instrument in that you could play, you just played whatever notes you wanted, you could you could even like freeform jazz it up with the scarecrow yeah i I like that, and I like the expansion of it to being an entire band in Majora's mass. That's when, true. yeah, when that came in. And it certainly sold a lot of ocarinas to to young people.
0: (laughs) We were just talking about that, the the ever-present ocarina ad in the back of Nintendo Power, which was there for maybe, I don't know, 10 years? Every time I saw
1: that ad, it reminded me, like, I bet ad space is really cheap in here. If this this small company that only makes blue ocarinas...
0: (laughs) They only had had to pay that elf cosplayer once, Henry. Mm -hmm. He didn't get get residuals for that ad, so I think that's why. Yeah, the music,
1: I, I enjoyed the music. That actually, I did make note. That was one of the rare times I used I was not somebody who wrote notes in the instruction manual because I saw that as defiling my beautiful instruction manual. But I did do it for the for when I wrote when I made up the Scarecrow song. I was like, I should I should remember what. Oh this
0: yeah, was. I just made it really easy. It's like all the same note. Like oh, dee dee dee
1: dee. you have uh, no you have no sense
0: of that. Scarecrow can yet. can make up his own song for all I care. You uh, could probably use like one two three as your passwords. For... <laughs> <laughs> who does that? Spaceballs. Um, let's keep going. So. <laughs> I was reading in an interview today about how even back in this time, like, I feel like there are all these unnecessary – all these choices that might seem unnecessary to us today, but they were really there to provide, like, immersion again. I've used that word a billion times. But, like, just being in this 3D space. And one of those was, like, we were questioning whether or not players would want to play the notes every time with the ocarina. But ultimately, they decided to go ahead and do that because – The people who didn't like it eventually got used to it, which I thought Mm. was cool. Like, no, you're going to play this thing. And it's like it it is still fun every time to, you know, pull out the ocarina and play the songs. Even if uh, Wind Waker, it got a little tedious and they did end up fixing that for the the HD version. So, I mean, I don't know. I still like using the ocarina as a – I never actually really liked it. I like how you can um, just use it as a as a fun – like it feels like a very R&D one choice where you can like change the pitch and just make up your own songs and just not have to do anything with it. And my, like I, I would play a lot of this at my friend's house because I did not have an N64 until like 2000. So when I was waiting to play, he would annoy me endlessly by just trying to figure out Metallica songs on the Ocarina. <laughs> I'd be like, stop it. Just, just play so I can play. I was cool with it
1: until in Majora's when it basically became a thing like – all right, it's the start of a new day,
0: better play these four songs again instead. Oh, yeah, you got to, like, cue up all your, like, like time buffs.
1: Yeah, that, that was where it reached into tedium of playing the music. Yeah. But I guess there were, in some of the you know, a block teleportation song stuff. It did get like, I've played this a lot of times now. I yeah. kind of don't want to play this again. But I I mostly enjoyed it. And it gave it a, you know, a titular thing to have, like a central item. I, I like that too. Yeah. Though, though there were, I mean, the Ocarina was in previous Zelda games though.
2: That's true. Yeah, I thought I thought the music element worked best in uh, Link's Awakening because it really didn't demand much of you. mm mm-hmm. It was.
1: Uh,
0: I, I don't know. I just the MacGuffins I, I really, you got. Yeah,
2: I like. didn't really enjoy. Like, I want to do this thing, so now I have to play out this little do these button presses. It, it just was an extra step.
1: I need a horse now. Didn't compel me. Though I do love the. I don't know when you play the when you play a pony song. Just the. I did like when you'd play the song that the the the. the image that would cover the screen and you just kind of get to relax in the music for yeah, just like, a second.
0: It would like radiate out of your character like yeah. like the notes and like the pictures and stuff. I want the new Link to have like an iPhone and like all, his, all of his songs are now apps. Like you just pull it out and pull, hit like the Day to Night app and it, and it charges you for $0.99. Cents. Monetization people, it's the future of video games. You have really bad ideas, Bob. <laughs> hey, bad ideas equal good money. That's true. <laughs> so what has what is, what is age well in this game? I will say again, um, it's a very it's very straightforward in getting you started, getting you playing. Um, I find that the first half of this game is very economical. Not a lot of running from place to place. You're just in these dungeons and they're fun and great. What has not age well for me is just like all of the busy work you do in unlocking some of the later dungeons. I feel like... Uh, it's become a Zelda staple. Like the process of unlocking a dungeon is now like kind of like a dungeon style challenge in itself. But these aren't super imaginative. I dislike going to the Gerudo Fortress and just shooting them all with the arrows. I don't know. How, what do you guys feel like? I, I'm sure we've all played it recently. I know Jeremy reviewed the uh, the 3DS version somewhat recently. Like, what have you? What have you feel has aged well and what hasn't aged well in this game? Both of you. Hmm. See,
2: I'm coming from it. Kind of from an unpopular angle, which is that I've never really liked Ocarina that much. I respect it, um, but I didn't your really.
0: It's a B plus, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, I think it's a good game. I can respect it, uh, like I said, but to me, it, it was never that fun. I never really, I never finished it until the 3DS version came out. I think I got up to uh, maybe the Fire Temple and just said, mm, "Okay," like the same year games like. Mega Man Legends and Metal Gear Solid and StarCraft? Even, no, I don't care about PCs, <laughs> okay. strategy games. Who cares about that crap? <laughs> um even I, I even actually liked I, I enjoyed the Magic Knight Ray Earth game for Saturn that came out <laughs> yes. easier more than Ocarina of Time because it was so like no frills. It was just here's a Zelda-style adventure that's just like cuts through the fat. There there seemed to be a lot of padding and, you know, a lot of the tedium that we've talked about, the repetition. Um, Magic Knight to me, that, also that really, a big
1: twist to it too.
2: I don't remember. It's been a long time.
1: Uh, that the the, prin- <laughs> the princess you're saving is actually the villain the whole time and oh, that she okay. chose
0: to marry that dude. I thought the twist was it came out after the Saturn died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is that too. Ah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I,
2: the game just never really clicked for me the way that Mario 64 did.
0: Um, it's it's definitely my least favorite of the 3Ds all those. Mm-hmm. So, so did anything stick out to you as especially modern or forward-thinking when you were playing the 3DS yeah, version? The, um, you know, the, the, the lock-on system was really good. <laughs> That's right. We didn't really talk about that. Yeah, Mega was... Man Legends
2: had that, but it was terrible. Yes, mm-hmm. it was bad. Because you froze in place, and also things were always moving around, and you'd fire at them, and your shots had kind of a slow um, rate of fire. Like, they, they, moved, they tracked slowly. So you'd be locked on, standing in place, And things would move past your – and just, you know, your bullets would fly past them. So it was completely useless. And you mostly just ran in a circle and it wasn't Yeah, well, I mean, eventually you stopped using the (laughs) lock-on and you would just run in a circle and nudge your camera viewpoint so that you'd be leading enemies as they move. Yeah. Uh, Zelda 2, you know – or Zelda 2. Ocarina of Time, um, I think it worked because in part – the combat was melee-based. You did very little uh, ranged combat, and for ranged combat, you usually entered a first-person perspective. I mean, you could toss a boomerang or fire off arrows from outside of the first-person perspective, but it was much more effective to stop and target and aim very carefully. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely feel like the 3D combat in Zelda uh, in Ocarina of Time really was forward thinking and revolutionary and very important Mm -hmm. for, um, just for game design uh, you know I think Wind Waker totally stomped it like of course that, yeah. that game has the best combat in any Zelda game better than
1: Twilight Princess yeah okay. well yeah they, it was weird that the sword combat got even though they kind of just copy and pasted the sword combat from Wind Waker into Twilight Princess that it somehow got worse yeah. I think because you're like three feet taller so you I can't d- do these cool things
0: I do think it's cute that it's called Z targeting because it's yeah. literally referring to the Z axis which was like a, oh my god we have the Z axis now everybody when the well, Z the Z button. Yeah, the I Z mean like trigger. Z trigger. Man, it's called a whole new, new axis, trigger. and I and I, this has been brought up in interviews and stuff. But it was it was inspired by like uh, Japanese stage plays with, that involves like stage fighting, in which like uh, uh, the hero or protagonist or character or whatever, whoever was fighting ninjas, like he would fight one of them at a time, while the others would circle around him. Like mm. you see that in a lot of a lot of like kung fu movies and, and like mm. martial arts movies, where it's like you're fighting a group of guys, but you're taking them on one by one. And of course, if they wanted to kill you, they should all just rush you and just tear you apart. That but, wouldn't be Chambara. No, it wouldn't be. That <laughs> it is, wouldn't be very impressive for Jackie Chan to get just beaten by eight dudes at once. It is called Chambara, as Jeremy said, it, but not Oni Chambara, so Link's not wearing a bikini or uh, at, at least I hope a not. Yeah.
1: Um, I think uh, from things that have aged well, like, yeah, I think the Z-targeting has aged really well, and every, it was one of those just like, duh moments, or just like, eureka moments of, oh yeah, every game should have this, or it just it kind of set the tone for a million 3D games that followed past it. Yeah,
2: yeah. like no one was able to do something better than that until Resident Evil 4 mm-hmm. came, out, came up with the over-the-shoulder targeting.
1: And then, then everything did that. Yeah, though the Z-targeting was such a new idea that they had to attach it to a shouting pixie that is screaming <laughs> at you the entire but game. Yeah, that was
2: so. that was kind of Nintendo's way of easing people into 3D at that point. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing with the camera in Super Mario 64. Like you yeah. was the camera. So here, uh, Navi was the targeting reticle.
0: Yeah, they do they do tone down Navi a lot in the 3DS version. Thank God. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Even by Majora, the you're not Navi, but your your sidekick doesn't talk as Tattle. Tattle Tattle doesn't talk as much there
0: either. I found that that was great in Majora's Mask, where uh, they were. I felt like Tattle was the immediate answer to Navi, in which there was no voice to that character it just like rang a little bell mm-hmm. and usually Navi would give you advice but whenever you would like target an enemy and like ask Tattle like what's that he would just like he or she I don't even know what does this target have a gender I, think it I don't was know gendered male yeah I okay think. it was because... like brother and sister fairy yeah right? yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, the, like the fairy will make fun of you, or like call you stupid, or like just be mm-hmm. snarky, which I thought was fun. Like Navi was there to help, and Tattle is there to be quiet, but also bitchy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Majora's Mask is mostly just—you could say it's all these characters from. Ocarina of Time, but now they have more personality. Just literally the character models, but now they have a little more interesting personality to That's them.
0: That's definitely true. Like I feel like what what Miyamoto was saying about Twin Peaks is not s- communicated super well in this game because these characters don't have stories like they do in Majora's Mask. They just kind of stand around and just tell you exposition. Like I was expecting... To see more from these characters, having played Majora's Mask recently, but like there's the carpenter's son who doesn't like his job, and that story does not get resolved. It's just like a little bit of characterization. But I was like, what happened to this guy? Like, I want to, f- mm-hmm. I want him to like go through whatever he's going through or figure out his life. But just you don't get those resolutions like you do in Majora's Mask.
1: And I do think it was a big, it was it was a big step forward in cinematic presentation to a degree, like especially for a Nintendo game. When Zelda, say the scene when Zelda gets kidnapped by uh by Ganondorf and she throws the ocarina away it's just all these like you know for its time advanced camera angles and like kind of visual storytelling of of this big moment and same with uh, same with even something as simple as like Hitting the cuckoos until they all attack you. Just I, once the cuckoo, you know, does the shout to summon all the rest to to get at you. I love the like quick flashes of camera angles of it just screaming yeah. to the
0: heavens. It's like a real Hitchcock thing almost. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> They have little flourishes like that that they they didn't have to do and that a Zelda game had never done before because there wasn't a 3D camera to operate in. I I like that and also that they tried to have. Well, they didn't try to. They did. They did put in a big twist in the game. They introduced Sheik. And I think That's right. by the second time I saw Sheik, I realized I'm pretty sure I had it figured out then. Like, <laughs> you're, you're Zelda. I get
0: this. It wasn't the There's... biggest mystery. I guess, yeah. like, what happened to Zelda in this seven years later? Here's a blonde mm-hmm. character that is androgynous. No, so. it
1: did pull on your – it did take advantage of your expectations that, well, obviously Zelda is being held kidnapped, kidnapped somewhere. That's what Zelda does. Yeah, like, But,
0: yeah. yeah, I guess it was progressive. Like, Zelda's now, like, kicking butt and, like, being a cool ninja character. She's kick
1: butt too, man. Yeah. Girl That's power. 1998 girl power. You can for listen you. to
0: Spice Girls and play Zelda because it's, it's the style of the time, mm-hmm. um, which would then lead to a lot of people's favorite Smash Brothers character, which is Zelda slash. Yeah, it's a hard character to use, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, of course, it was very hard to do this on the N64, but there was no pre-rendered video, which they could have used, and Miyamoto was talking about why he didn't use it. And it's a very Miyamoto answer. He's like, I can't make last-minute changes to pre-rendered ah. videos, so I don't want to use it. Like, I don't want someone to tell me, this will take a month to fix, or we can't fix it, the game is going to ship. Like, wow. when you're doing real-time cutscenes, you can still have that Miyamoto, like, I just thought of an idea in the shower, let's put it in the <laughs> game, and wow. kill ourselves doing it.
1: I never thought of that until they totally makes sense, not just also that it would say look as bad as the Resident Evil cutscenes did on its N64 release like it wasn't it wasn't just about how bad
0: no. played video would look and on there is some ugly pre-rendered uh, graphics in this game uh, th- it's limited to like two areas though and yeah, it looks a- yeah it looks a lot better in um, the once 3DS the camera is
1: stuck in position you're like ooh yeah
0: it's yeah. like uh, Link's, Link's uh, apartment or whatever his bachelor pad is uh, like <laughs> a, a, a like a 30 kilobyte JPEG he, likes, he like crawls around in yeah. and like Chiral Castle Town is another crappy JPEG Big, which I, maybe they were experimenting with it and they're like, this does not work. Let's just you know, limit it to these two areas or I don't know what their decision was but it, it kind of stands out from the rest of the game as like an odd choice. Like, did like these two areas with just like pre-rendered camera angles. It could just, I, I don't know about the, the house but it could be with the town they just didn't have time to implement it yeah. or space. That's true. Like, I guess maybe they were worried for Hyrule Castle Town that it would be too much, too taxing to have all those characters, all that architecture. We had to and, do it twice because it yeah. was going to be one of the areas
1: most affected by Ganon, the Ganondorf taking over yeah. Switch. I also thought it was interesting that this game, technically the Triforce is in there, but you don't. You don't get the Triforce. It's just it's in a building, like and, oh, right, yeah. And Ganon gets it because you moved the the sword, but it's not it's not there. You can't
0: touch it. That is if true. you try to get it, doesn't doesn't an
1: Arwing shoot you and blow you up? <laughs> uh,
0: oh, that's right. There is an Arwing in the game. Uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to enter debug mode or something, right? Yeah.
1: Well, there's portraits of uh, Bowser and Mario and Zelda in Hyrule Castle, and that one other thing I remember being really interesting at the time was. I, I think, I forget which one I played first, it or me, uh, Metal Gear Solid, but they came out the same time frame. And, you know, there's there's like a whole stealth section in Legend of Zelda that takes on an overhead camera view like a, a Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah. It was very strange to play those around the same time. Yeah, I, I played Metal Gear first since it came out first. Mm.
0: And
2: like, as soon as it came out, I was like, oh, a new Metal Gear, I have to play this. Oh my God, it's been waiting a decade. Um, and by comparison, Zelda was that stealth section was not good no, no. i mean well there's it's a reason so, it's, so it's not
1: easy even, yeah. yeah there's a reason it's not the rest of the game is based on it it's just that little section there i always wonder why they even bother with that if it's just to shake things up like well he could just turn a corner and meet zelda but we need to stretch this for like another half hour and i, I think so.
0: it's also training for the the second half of the game when you actually do have to use stealth but not really yeah, yeah not it's not really. that great so I did want to talk about before we wrap things up here, we also have, I, I believe, and I think Jeremy might have said things around the same uh, line as this, but uh, Twilight Princess does feel like a spiritual remake of Ocarina, and I, and I felt like things were going to go in a much different direction after this game, but they didn't really do. How do you feel about that, that, uh, that, that thought I just had, Jeremy? I think I stole it from you. Um, yeah, I
2: mean, at the end of uh, The Wind Waker, it really seemed like the series was saying, Goodbye, Hyrule. Let's go to new lands. Let's do something new and different. And then they jumped to a different place in the timeline, and it was Zelda again with Ganon as the bad guy again in Hyrule Castle again. It's fine. Like I'm, I'm kind of with Miyamoto in that – I don't really need a lot of a great story to make a Zelda game interesting. It's much more about experiencing the dungeons and the weapons and everything for me. But, yeah, Twilight Princess was Ocarina of Time Redux. But to me, it was Twilight or it was Ocarina of Time done right. It was uh, finally them realizing the potential that I saw in Ocarina but, like, that, that I could just never enjoy. So maybe that's a heretical point of view. But to me... Twilight Princess was them finally saying, "All right, let's let's get it let's get it together and make this
0: game right." Mm-hmm. I do want to play the HD version. Hopefully, that won't be out. Uh, when does that come out, anyways? March 9th. March, okay, this yeah. this podcast will be out before then. I'm I'm hoping, but uh, yeah, like I do want to play through that game again. I just remember loving the dungeons, and it it, it did feel like a more polished version of uh, Ocarina of Time made with all those years of experience that they didn't yeah. have before.
1: No, and we would have our best. Uh, yeah, the aforementioned best uh, games ever things i was i was a part of if somebody would say ocarina we'd say no twilight twilight is all that stuff and better made because it it it's 7 years later like of course they made it better or 8 years later so of course they did a uh, they did a better job with it it's more it's more fantasy it's more high fantasy it's more epic if you can use that as a descriptor and same too like it also has,
0: it's more Miyazaki, I'd say, too, or at least Mononoke. Like, there's some... It does feel very Mononoke, You're yeah. right. Yeah, there's a darkness to it. I mean, Twilight Princess, whatever. But mm. yeah, like the one thing I'm not looking forward to is the excruciatingly long opening. That game is probably the has the worst opening of the modern yeah. 3DS Zeldas, I think. It just they make you suffer through a lot of training that you don't especially need. At least I don't think you do.
1: Now I remember as a plebe reader back in 2006, reading Jeremy's like one-up blog updates of like I just got this and have to play it. All weekend long, and this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a long one. Like,
2: yeah, actually, um, the the Twilight Princess experience for me was a little weird because I played like the first six or seven hours of the game at Nintendo headquarters as a preview event, mm-hmm. and then the game arrived for review like a week before we launch. And I was like, oh, I'm not looking forward to this. And someone else, I think Luke Smith, was like, oh, I really want to play this game. How about if I play that for six or seven hours and then give you a copy of the save and you can work off of that so you don't have to do the intro all over again. That was back when you can actually like move saves around. They weren't like contraband. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I'm pretty sure it was Luke Smith, who's now at Bungie, um, <laughs> who saved me a lot of frustration and, and helped me kind of bootstrap the, the game for review. That's a long game too. Yeah. Like I actually, I had to play over like an hour
1: of the game, but that, that beat mm. six Yeah, I remember you said things like, from your preview event, like, oh, is this the first dungeon? Like, no, this isn't the first dungeon yet. Like, this is, yeah, I, I think it almost they had delayed Twilight Princess so long that it just its own epicness got in its way of like, no, it, this is this isn't enough to be worth being the game we've delayed for so long. And, yeah,
0: and I will say the the GameCube one is the true the oh, true yeah. game so, is is are yeah, they the HD version is based on the GameCube? Okay, version. good. Yeah, it's not left handed. All yeah. that. Yeah. I never the, played yeah. the Wii version. I don't know how badly that sword play worked out. Uh, did you review the GameCube one or the Wii one, Jeremy? Uh, I reviewed both. I, I went back and played a bunch of the GameCube version afterwards. Mm. <laughs> so um, you did finish the Wii one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was the sword play in that? In the Wii version? Yeah. It was fine. Okay, because I know Skyward Sword like, used the Wii Motion Plus no, to it make was, it, it, it like, was much one-to-one. Yeah, it was It like, was like... <laughs>
2: you would get into a fight and then you could shake the controller for emphasis and to like do a death blow or okay. whatever. So is... so it wasn't super essential. The other the other weird thing about that that preview you're talking about is that like I wrote this really in-depth hands-on experience preview of the game because people were super excited about it and then uh, Penny Arcade made some nasty comment on their front page about like how I
0: said too much about the game I was like ah, that's well, kind of
1: <laughs> what people are interested in reading though
0: Penny Arcade making that's, a nasty comment that's unheard of
1: I'm not understanding <laughs> what game journalism is that just doesn't sound uh,
0: Shots I'm, fired. Not, I'm, I'm not I'm sorry, not getting into sorry. any
2: we've had Penny Arcade guests on this podcast
0: before so. yeah they'll never talk to us again <laughs> 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 their people will uh, so <laughs> anyway. there is there is a 3DS version of this game as well which I have never played until uh, recently I, I downloaded it just for this podcast because it's the mm-hmm. most—it's the best way to play through this game, I think. And uh, for recreating the game from scratch, they—I'm surprised it not more has changed. Like. I did expect the graphics to look a little better, and there are a lot of really interesting changes, and, and, like, it does look a lot better, but, like, going into Dodongo's Cavern, for example, like, you're supposed to be staring at a giant skull when you go in there. There, there the, There's, like, a door in the back of its mouth, but the, the skull model still looks like it's made out of, like, 30 polygons. It just has better textures. I'm like, yeah. why couldn't you just make, a, like, a realistic-looking skull here? Just a lot, like, a lot of weird things It feels like more of, like, a refurbishment to still capture that N64 feeling.
1: Well, it's one of those weird things where they just... Uh, it it feels like an un nintendo move to have hired a bunch of uh third party people to to make it for them to give it to Grezzo instead of instead of doing it handling it internally or something i, I don't know it just didn't feel didn't feel the same, though. That is just the new normal with Nintendo now. Yeah. They do just hand off a remake to – at least with the, like, uh, Star Fox 64, they hand it off to Q Games who just made it the first time anyway. Yeah. So it felt, felt more correct in that case.
0: I felt like it might have been, uh, based on what I'm playing now, maybe a little too slavishly faithful to the N64 version, like – I I don't want them to change dungeons or item placements or dialogue, but, like, just the way it feels and looks does feel a little dated, and I feel like that was an intentional choice. Just even reading the interviews, like, Koji Kondo was like, make this sound like the N64 game. Like, here's how the N64 instruments sound. This game has to sound like that. I was like, that's not really necessary. I mean, I understand, like, the reverb being in the title screen, whatever, but, yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. I don't sorry. think
2: Grezzo was really brought in to be, like, creative contributors to the remake. I think they were brought in to... Just program the remake and make it happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was very much Nintendo saying, "Like, okay, guys, here's what we want." And Grezzo saying, "Okay, they're they're pretty much you know a contract worker." Yeah. Um, and what what Zelda games have they done since then? They did a link between worlds, right? Mm. I they were. They, they, did the they, Mask, uh, they did the
1: Majora's Mask. They did the remake. Yeah. I do believe they were involved in. I think it.
2: Triforce Heroes was them too. Yeah. The, so. the only
1: things I remember Grezzo being like the, I forget which one they do. They've done a couple of the East, uh, the 3DS Street Pass games also Grezzo. But I okay, which one? That's true. Yeah. I you know Grezzo do. is is led by Koichi Ishi, the
2: guy who That's right. created the Mana series. I hope oh. he's happy. So right there's now. kind of like a yeah, right. <laughs> Man, that was that was a dark time for a while. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so there's like this kind of interesting legacy there. But unfortunately, I I don't really think Grezzo is um, treated as like equal partners in this project. It's not like, hey, guys, offer your input on this. It's more like, hey, guys, make it, you know, program it and make it happen.
0: I don't have official numbers on this, but just reading interviews, I should have written it down. But like they spent an inordinate amount of time remaking a game that was already in existence. Like this was not just like let's make an N64 emulator and throw some filters on it. It's like, no, we're, we're reprogramming this game from scratch. And I believe it took somewhere between three to four years to put this game on 3DS. Like the development cycle might have been even longer than Zelda 64's uh, development cycle or the original game. It's My crazy.
1: Th- I would think when they started working on it, they they were of the mindset of, oh, this has to work so well in stereoscopic 3D. Like that, that was too, yeah. so much more important to yeah. the 3DS pre like 2012. After 2012, I feel like nobody cares about they it. They must have
2: been working with some very – uh, fundamental like early hardware yeah, because yeah. they had to have they they showed Ocarina of Time 3D at one of those E3 press events the year before just right? like 3 months after the 3DS came out yeah and it was it was like playable and they were like hey look mm. it was it was kind of weird we 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 went into you know the like the the theater that Nintendo used to do they didn't do it this past year mm. but um like kind of in the evenings after E3's show floor closed down and you know they would always have like Miyamoto or Tezuka or someone come in and talk about their games um, and they didn't talk about Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D at the event but when we came in there were a bunch of people with 3DS hardware and they had just like the game running on it and they yeah. were like look this is amazing and we were just supposed to
0: pass around and be like,
2: oh, and we are, we are, oh. Yeah,
0: I imagine uh, they had the specs for the 3DS long before the system came out, like sort of how like when the Game Boy Color was uh, debuting, like they knew what the Game Boy Advance would be, but they wouldn't make it for like three more years, right? So, uh,
2: it's hard to say. Yeah, mean, there, was, there was Project Atlantis, but I don't know how close that was to the actual GBA hardware.
0: Right. But I'm saying it's, it's likely that like, this, wasn't, this started production far before the 3DS. I mean, it obviously did, but even before they had I mean, it was probably
2: a, one of the very first projects that they started working on yeah. for the 3DS. They started developing the specs for the hardware and developed the game in parallel. That would be mm-hmm. my guess.
1: I think it's kind of, the, the 3DS version of it also feels like what is the new, the new way of working on Zelda for the company is like we have this new system. Instead of starting on a Zelda from scratch, let's remake an old one. Then we'll know how to deal with this system. And so that's, they started with, you know, uh, Ocarina then they did Wind Waker. And now I guess those must have both sold so well. They're just like, let's do the ones after them as well. And also, it's taking forever to make a Wii U one, so we better have something.
0: Man, I hope it's on the Wii U. (laughs) Who knows at this point? Mm. How could they betray me? I bought a Wii U. That would be so unfair. time to wrap up, folks. Uh, how do you think Ocarina of Time will be remembered? And do you think it will age into obscurity as this weird curiosity that is a little too primitive for people who grew up in an age where 3D was the norm? I don't know what to say. I, I feel like I still find a lot of charm in the game. I still find going through the dungeons fun. I don't know, but I can't say if that's because of nostalgia. It's really hard for me to say. How do you guys feel about that? Do you feel this is a game that will be as timeless as Super Mario Brothers or the original Zelda or even A Link to the Past? I, I think it's in kind of an awkward place in video game history.
2: Um you know, Super Mario Brothers people can go back to today and play because it is so simple and because it is so iconic. Ocarina of Time, I don't feel like it was ever really quite that iconic. And I do think that, you know, for certain people of a certain age, it had tremendous impact. But it's it's hard for me to imagine someone who is like three year old three years old now, uh revisiting the game in fifteen years and saying, Whoa, this is so good. <laughs> Everything it does, other games have done better now. Right. And it's, it's one of those games that's very easy to take for granted, um, or I think it will be. And mm-hmm. I, I say this not as someone who's like, I hate Ocarina of Time, because I don't hate it. Um, I just, I, I feel like, yeah, the N64 was kind of a weird piece of video game hardware that um, had some strange strengths and strange deficiencies, and Ocarina kind of reflects those. I mean, I, I think it will always be seen as a, and an, an essential touchstone in video game history and and a very important part of video game evolution and video game design. But I don't see it being one that people necessarily want to go back to and and discover for the first time. But I could be wrong. I mean, it may be one of those things where, you know, someone who's just now learning to use an iPhone and and play Angry Birds will <laughs> get into other kinds of games later and then say, oh, I should go back and learn more about these Zelda games that I love. Like, Zelda 20 is great, and I wonder what about Zelda 64. Also,
0: these chickens are the original Angry Birds, right? They are. (laughs) They'll kill you. Well, no, really the ones in A Link to the Past. That's true, but they still predate Angry Birds. Henry, how do you feel about this game in in terms of aging? Flicky's a pretty angry bird, too. too. but
1: (laughs) No, uh, anyway. uh, Yeah, I think it... I like I said I've had the I think there is a generation of people who regard this as like the most important game ever that this it is that and like Final Fantasy VII and yeah, stuff like that I, I mean the, Next oh, Generation okay. magazine said it was the greatest game exactly of all time. and they gave it a they gave it a five stars it's got to be it was Man. the only ten on GameSpot for forever but I think Until it will across I, I <laughs> think I think people will be playing it for some time just. For if somebody's a new Zelda fan, like like Jeremy said, I think they'll want to see like, oh. Also, if they're super into the timeline, they're gonna oh, want to yeah, play but... it just to see this fork in the road of the timeline. Step on up, and yeah, to see Ganondorf for uh, and and all these uh, to see all these firsts in the Zelda series. It'll always be the place where all these firsts were that keep getting repeated in later 3D games. So I can see t- people revisiting them for a long time. And as long as the generation of uh games journalists that I've met who would still put like, you know, Ocarina of Time as number one on their best games ever lists, like then, then I think it still will be a celebrated game. And I think it is I think it is worth celebrating. It's not as it hasn't as it isn't as timeless as as Super Mario 64, like that it, it kind of can't be. But Especially if they keep updating the same rules they started with Zelda in 3D. Like I wish, I wish Zelda could go into four dimensions or whatever. They could take the next. Someday maybe that'll happen when they take the next technological leap to redo Zelda, Zelda VR, and, ugh, where no. you're dodging
0: spiders in real time. But yes. in,
1: but until that can happen, this will I think Ocarina will always be this like touchstone for the what the what a console Zelda game will be at least.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, talking about Zelda 64 with me or Ocarina of Time. I keep saying Zelda 64. I I never say that. I don't know why I'm saying it here. Uh, Just to wrap up, uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitch, and YouTube, and all kinds of other stuff as Retronauts. So please subscribe to all our social media stuff. We're not that noisy. We'll just let you know when things are happening, when there's a new episode. And we are also part of the usgamer.net family. Please go there every Monday to read the blog post that we put up with every episode. It tells you who's on it, what music we used, and relevant links, and maybe a little bit of uh, context explaining why we did this thing that we do. And as always, we are on Patreon, so please go to patreon.com slash retronauts. We are user supported we can't do this without your money so please keep it coming and please uh check it out there's incentives for giving us your money and we love it we love it so much we love making the show we love our support so thank you so much if you do support us and if you don't please think about it we love it and uh yeah as for me i am bob servo on twitter you can also check out my writing on usgamer.net obviously and something awful and I do another talking. Uh, pff, I do another uh, podcast called Talking Simpsons, which is a chronological exploration of the Simpsons show with the Laser Time Podcast Network. So go to LaserTimeNetwork.com and uh, laser find and God. God, Chris could not get Laser Time, could he? <laughs> nope. Okay, so LaserTimePodcast.com. Yes. Uh, or just like look up Talking Simpsons in whatever your i device is. You'll find it. I'm out of breath and I'm tired. Somebody please talk about what, where we can find you. Sure, Henry. Why don't you go?
1: Oh, okay, fine. Well, yeah, I. Work full-time on LaserTimepodcast.com where I write lots of things and do about five podcasts a week, including Talking Simpsons, the hot News show, but also LaserTime, Time, the general interest geek show, Cape Crisis, the comic book podcast, uh, the pro wrestling podcast, Cheap Podcast, and also VG Empire, the video game music podcast, which uh, they've... Done multiple Zelda episodes. You should give a listen to. Also, if you heard me on a previous Retronauts talk about how much I want Dragon Quest Seven VII and Eight out, if you go to the Laser Time YouTube page and watch the Nintendo Direct live reactions, you can see me lose my shit over <laughs> Dragon Quest Seven getting announced for America.
0: See so a real Henry Gilbert freakout. Yeah, it's good entertainment. Oh, and I'm
1: H E N E R E Y G on Twitter.
0: And
2: finally, you can find me at Gamespite on Twitter. Uh, I write for usgamer.net, and if you feel like reading other stuff I write about old video games, check out gameboyworld.com and goodnintentions.com. <laughs> or just check out my YouTube channel, which is under the name Toasty Frog, I think. Where I do, frog.
0: Yeah, I do video game videos. That's it from us this week. We'll see you next week with a micro episode, everybody. Later.